0: To join SelfWealth now, use the link in your podcast player or head to selfwealth.com.au and use the coupon code RASK during sign-up. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. This episode of the Australian Investors Podcast features Storm McGrath, the CEO of Kit McGrath Education Centres, which trades under the ASX ticker symbol KME. Full disclosure, I own shares of Kit McGrath. This interview originally appeared inside our RAS Records Beyond Membership service for our members. However, this is a fantastic masterclass in capital allocation. Storm takes us through his decision-making process, the model of a franchisee, tutoring, his acquisition of TutorFly in the United States. And I think generally speaking, I came away from this conversation really impressed with how he thinks about business models, how he thinks about the internal economics of tutoring and education more broadly. And I think you will too. I hope you enjoyed this episode on the Australian Investors Podcast featuring Storm McGrath, CEO of Kit McGrath Education Centres. Storm, thanks for taking some time to to join me and talk about your business, man. I'm hoping that we can start at basically how the business began. So, if I'm not mistaken, it was the 1970s. I could be wrong about this. Um, yep. How how did the business start? Take us through like the, I guess the the major milestones leading up to IPO, and then you getting involved more actively in the business.
1: Yeah. So, mom and dad were both school teachers, and school teachers, you know, in the 70s were poorly paid. So, um, you know, they had aspirations of being more than that as far as wealth goes. So they Mm -hmm. wanted to uh, supplement their income. And, you know, they tried a few things, but they both knew education. They both had, um, you know, and loved it and saw that it was something that they would like to do uh, outside of ours. So they opened the first centre in the garage in 1976. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they mostly specialised in teaching kids to read so, you know, some kids who struggle to read need a specific program using phonemes, sight words, sounding out words, all of those things. So they, they built a program specifically for that. And the, the program today is very similar and hasn't actually changed that much, the reading program. Um, and basically it was so successful out of the garage, the neighbours were complaining of all of the cars coming and going, so we had to move down to the shopping centre in Metford, which is in Maitland in the Hunter Valley. So the first centre was in Medford. Uh, just, you know, in, the, in a little strip mall where, you know, there's a takeaway and a doctor and a hairdresser, you know, pretty much where every, everyone in the suburbs has one. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and then the first milestone, I suppose, was they opened up a centre, centres through the Hunter Valley. So we had one in Newcastle, one in Maitland, Cessnock, Singleton, Musselbrook, uh, Belmont, uh, Wallsend. So we had about six, um, that had six centres. Um, So it really started to take off when they started advertising on TV on NBN in the late 70s. My brother and I were in the first ad as as the kids because I was only 10 and he was nine. So so it took off after that. And then basically the, the teachers within the businesses started to ask if they could have one as well. It was really successful. Uh, Mum and dad, you know, obviously capital was a constraint, so he looked at franchising as a distribution model. So, you know, they did a lot of research, went into franchising. as a very infant stage in those years. But it was successful. They ended up selling around 100 in the first 10 years. So from about 85 to 95, they sold 100. Um, went into New Zealand in 1991. So the first centre was in Auckland. And then into the UK in 93, South Africa in 96, um, you know, and then a few other countries, Singapore, Hong Kong, all around in the 90s. So the massive expansion in the 90s, um, which led to the float in 2003 to expand. So we had about 240 centres in the float. And then, it really, you know, we went into to China and a few other places. Getting the money out of China was a was a tough one. Mm-hmm. So that business eventually had to s- slow down. But we ended up with um, near on 700 centres all on the fixed fee model. That was that was the main issue. So, you know, I joined the business, the board in 1997, joined the management team in 2000. Um, so I was there for the float. I was basically 2IC, looking after the um, IT team, really, and uh, selling franchises as well. So, but we were on a fixed fee model. And over time, fixed fee models tied to inflation, we had uh, margin depletion over that time. So, I said to the to basically mum and dad, we've got to go to a percentage of revenue. Um, it will be more successful. It'll actually increase the fee, and it'll keep up more with inflation and what franchisees charge. It'll be a fairer system. So, you know, the smallest franchisees will pay less, and the bigger ones will pay more, and they can afford to. And uh, basically, the franchisees weren't too happy about it. So you know, we had a bit of a revolt. And uh, you know, before the we GFC in two thousand and eight trying to get franchisees to go to a percentage of revenue model. The business was in pretty dire straits in about 2010, 2011. And you can go back and have a look. I mean, share price got to you know 1.9 cents or something like that. Mm. So, uh, it was a pretty pretty tough time, but you know, we wouldn't have survived if we didn't change. So there was really nothing to lose. Um, so over that time, look, I became CEO pretty much not long after we um, floated because Dad didn't want to talk to the auditors. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I implemented the change for percentage of revenue. I gave the franchisees six years to do it. It was some tough times, but we got there. And during that process, you know, we learned a lot about franchisees. We were much more involved in their business because we were getting a percentage of revenue. So, um, you know, we built systems for them to use. There were there, you know, which had a centralised database, went into the cloud system. You know, we've got LMS that basically... Um, you know, does all of the lessons, all of the lesson planning. It's got 80,000 questions in it. So we know exactly what all the kids are doing. The teachers don't have to do any lesson preparation, which gives you the ability to scale, the ability to teach four or five kids at once and still give an individualized learning program. So, you know, for the increasing percentage of revenue, we gave them more tools to help them grow their business. So that was a good trade-off. So we kept about 400. So 400 stayed. We lost about 300 during this fight. Um, but during that process of being able to see the line of sight of how the franchisees knew, and you know, work their business, I could see that a lot of them struggled with the back office type of stuff. So they were changing from a fixed fee to 10%, but I knew that a lot of them couldn't do the back office, didn't want to do payroll, GST was an issue, cash flow was an issue. They were struggling to understand the difference between revenue and profit. And mm-hmm. so I came up with the, the gold partner model and so with gold partner, we do their back office for them. So they pay 20% of revenue. So over the last 10 to 12 years, we've been very meticulously changing people to gold partner model, which is an increase in revenue for us, as well as buying back the master franchisees from all over the world. So we've had, you know, a dramatic increase in our revenue without really any risk, because we've basically been buying back our own farm and increasing our cut. So that's um, how we've turned the business around from pretty much almost terminal in 2010. And mm-hmm. it's, it's been a hard work, but it's been rewarding. We've, we've learned a lot. And we've also kept up with technology. I'm a technologist. We've kept up with tech. I invested in an online platform around 10 years ago. Um, so on the top of our cloud-based distribution LMS We built in a voice and video to go with it. And then we've gradually added more tools to make the learning experience better. And by that, I mean, you build tools to see what every child is doing, uh, how long they've been on every question, what answer they put in that was incorrect. So you know, whether they're guessing or they're close or, you know, see they're working out. So basically, try to replicate what you can see face to face in an online environment. So, you know, by the time uh, the COVID hit, pretty much two years ago now uh, we'd already done 100,000 online lessons over the previous you know decade. So we, we already had the technology and everything to pivot. The issue was is that out of 45,000 lessons we were doing a week, only 550 were online. So franchisees still weren't particularly enamored with the product and didn't really want to use it. They liked face-to-face, they understood face-to-face. So we pivoted quite hard. You know, the CFO came into my office and said that we're lesson numbers were down seventy percent. We went into lockdown, you know, so you know we started looking at obviously cost cutting, making people redundant. Um, you know, f- f- you know they call it f- furloughing in the UK, and we made people here, you know, put them on um, on leave as much as we could. But the, we fought back and we taught all the franchisees how to use online. We got back to fifty percent uh, at the end of two thousand uh, twenty and then back to only about twenty percent down in June last year. So basically, um, we were back to pretty much normal as far as revenue goes at franchisee level about a year ago now. So it's it's um, you know good success story. You know it's not about being lucky. I think we we were just the acceleration of what would have happened took two years, not ten. So. Mm-hmm. We were, yeah, it's it's been been a um, wild couple of years. The business is now in a very good position. So the core business of franchising, teaching kids maths and English, is going well. And I'll just do you want to talk about the um, you know the dynamics of how that works, or just talk about other yeah, things?
0: that'd be great. That'd be good. Yeah, thanks. That's going kind to of be wonderful. Uh, look, our franchisees
1: basically are school teachers, and they love children and they love teaching. And the school system has become. Uh, a little bit, a lot of red tape and a lot of things that that aren't really conducive to someone who cares about children. It's all about paperwork and filling in forms. So they come to us because they really get frustrated about the fact they don't get to do what they love doing. So they buy the business and they run it around 80 to 100 students per week, teaching them maths and English. Now, we only teach maths and English because we're of the belief you can do maths and English. The rest of them is just memory. So you can get those two right you can do all the others. So they turn over around 250,000 and make 40% profit. So make about 100,000, which replicates their school income that they get to do what they love doing, which is teaching. So the average franchisee would teach probably 30 to 40 kids themselves, would have two to three staff helping them. And you know they would do uh, pretty much most of the basic admin. We do most of it ourselves, but they do some of the admin, look after the parents. So their job is to look after the students and look after the parents. Now, how our tutoring system works is we do a free assessment for every single child. And in the assessment, we get to get a very good view on the the skill level of the children. So we do a maths assessment to find out exactly where they sit with regard to their grade that they're currently in. And so we would do an end of grade test of year 9 if you're in year 10. And that's got all of the basic uh, topics and questions that you should know how to do when you finish year 9. If you don't only get half of them right, then you're missing half of the content. So for those kids, we go back to where they're being successful and fill in the gaps. Okay, So we go back to year seven level where they probably haven't got a grasp on algebra and fill in that, that gap there. Or if it's you know quadratic equations or something like that, we go back and teach them the basics and accelerate the learning so they can catch up to the, to the year level they're at. Now, with English, we test the reading age, spelling age and comprehension age. And we do that because a, you might be a good reader, um, but your comprehension skills are low or you can be the opposite. So it gives us a clue as to whether the child has got learning difficulties, um, You know, is their intelligence level, and gives us an idea of how to build a lesson plan for them uh, for English as well. So all of our programs are dealt with. We do the free assessment. We put the results into the computer. The computer with the help of the assessor builds the first uh, lesson. And then the computer follows a path of every single lesson this week is slightly harder than last week. So everything's carefully graded. So we know the children improve every week that they come. And the teacher, we only use professional teachers throughout the network worldwide. The teacher is used because they understand the difference between having a lucky day or not understanding a concept. So the teacher is used because we can use, we call it the Goldilocks principle. We want the kid to have the work is not too hard, not too easy, but just right. So in, if they're in that tension of the of the work being just right all the time, then they actually feel a lot happier and get a lot more confidence. And confidence is a huge problem when they come to us. So we build programs that help them. Build their confidence because they're at a tension level that gives them the ability to do most of the work but introducing new concepts in areas they're struggling with um, so that they can accelerate their learning and catch up to where they are in school. Mm. That's how our system works and we're very proud of it. And, you know, we've helped millions of kids over the years.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a huge accomplishment. Um, can you talk to... I guess the the genesis of store uh, corporate run centers and like and lessons and that type of stuff.
1: Yeah, so the average franchisee's got eighty to one hundred students, but there is around fifteen that do three hundred or more students per week. And I wanted to find out why and what do they do, so I visited every single one of them in the world. Mm-hmm. and said, okay, why do they do three or four times better than average? And the answer was is they genuinely great people, personable, nice, caring, but they did an assessment, told the parent what they're going to do and delivered on it, and then reported back to the parent on progress often. Um, so the difference between someone who is doing an average job and these people who do an extraordinary job is basically just customer service. So I thought about it and we said, no, I can replicate that at a corporate level because we can build systems in to do some of the work, heavy lifting, but we can get people who are uh, want to be tutors and centre managers but don't want the risk of running a business. So I can put in better systems, spend a little bit more money on marketing than the average franchisee and get this business to be profitable and much more profitable than the franchised uh, business. So to put in perspective, at the moment we charge around $65 a lesson, less GST that's sort of 58, we get 20% of that, you know, it's $11, 50 and make about 30%. So making about $3.50 per student per week. In corporate we get all of the 58 and believe we can make the same margin of 30 percent so in theory it's three or four times more profitable but mm. it has to be at scale because we've got higher fixed costs so i looked at it and said okay to run corporate i need to be better than the average franchisee but i don't have to be as good as the best of the best if i consider 200 students Then I can make this margin that I was talking about earlier so we went out and had a look at okay if I buy a business can I get it to 200 students so we bought one business in Newcastle not far from head office in Adamstown and then uh, opened one not far away in a shopping centre in Katara and the one in Adamstown ran at 100 students and the one in Katara we built it up to um, around 150 students pretty easily so That gave us a clue, so yeah, we can run it. So we had 252 students between the two centres, but I was sharing the manager and sharing uh, resources between the two, so all of a sudden my fixed costs have come down from the necessity of having 200 students. So I was at a, you know, a centralised phone call centre. One centre manager was running both centres. The technology was allowing people to work from home if they need to, as well as the student work from home. So we're getting all these synergies that we never expected So after that, I bought a centre in Canberra with 400 students per week in it. I wanted to see, you know, could we run that? So we were. We were running that one. We didn't really lose any students. So all of a sudden, we're running, you know, four or five centres, um, you know, with around about 750 students. And it's it's not break-even yet because we're still expanding and paying off and getting the systems right. But it's looking very, very promising. so you know, I went to the board and said, "Yeah, this is this is really working. Let's let's go and buy some more, and we need to buy them in clusters. We can't just buy one in the middle of nowhere. We need to buy three or four together." So we bought four in Sydney. We bought um, three or four in Brisbane. Another two up in Caloundra. We bought a really big one in Palmerston North, um, in New Zealand on the North Island, uh, three hundred and fifty students, and um, two in Perth, two in Melbourne. And we just bought one in in Hobart itself. So we're buying them in clusters in the capital city areas. You know, we're filling in the gaps, getting economies of scale and synergies across those businesses. And it's grown really well. We did 1.4 million in rev in uh, 20. We did you know 3.7 in 21. We're going to do about six and a half uh, this year. And we're budgeting for you know around 10 to 12 the year after. So a business growing that fast, it's difficult to to make profit because you've got Growth costs, but it's not losing money either, which is uh, you know fantastic result. But uh, there's also some other good news. We're buying the businesses for around about you know one times earnings from the franchisees, so we can buy the business for one times earning, um, and you know get our money back in cash in two years time. So it's a and it's been really quite well received by franchisees that are a bit wary of it to begin with, but now they've got you know head offices a buyer for them so they've got a sound alignment <laughs> plan and uh, you know and we also can we can test a lot of things um, in our corporate centers to roll out to franchisees which makes reduces their risk when they take on new new technology or a new strategy or a different marketing methodology so you know it's it's been fantastic you know we've got we get a little bit more control of our destiny and how we can grow the business. Uh, the franchisees have got an exit plan if they wish. We can get a lot more control with regard to how we, um, you know, spend our capital uh, on, on what we go to next and then be able to distribute it through the network much, much easier than you would have in the past.
0: Mm. Um, There are a couple of other things that are like on the top of my list to ask you. One is just like you mentioned buying back like the master franchisees, um, franchise clusters and all that sort of stuff. How do you, like, can you describe that process and why that's important?
1: Yeah, we most franchisors would use a master franchise methodology for expansion. So if you go into a a market that's uh, in another country you sell a master franchisee to someone who believes in the business and wants to follow the system they set up a local unit themselves then they sell franchises based on the success of that unit mm-hmm. but over time because we've been doing this uh since 1991 over time they get to retirement age and then they also get comfortable where they're at so and the other thing is, is that you know, if, if I go back to, you know, to the year 2000, it's not that long ago. Our biggest cost was STD phone calls.
0: Yeah, right. Now a franchisee can email
1: me directly with a complaint. So we've we've cut out um, a lot of the reason to have a master franchisee. One of the reasons was that they would be the person on the ground locally to do the communication with franchisees and to to service them. But what's happened over time using technology is that they can be serviced by us much easier. So a normal master franchisee gets between forty and fifty percent of the franchise fee. So they get half of it to look after them, but we're ending up doing you know a a fairly large amount of that work ourselves. Mm -hmm. So using using technology, centralised systems for communication with franchisees and things like that. We've been buying back the 17 master franchisees that we had 20 years ago. So now we actually purchased the last two, which is South Africa and um, Scotland. So we now have no master franchisees in the world. Every single franchisee in the world is contracted to head office Australia. And every single franchisee is billed by us and serviced by us out of Australia. So yes. It's been it's been a long job to get all the systems right. It's taken time. Um, you know, we don't. It doesn't all drop to the bottom line when you when you get that extra forty or fifty percent. Around about half of it does. So it's it's a good investment. We bought it for around about two times earnings. For most of those businesses. So they've been been great um, strategy for us.
0: Mm. How about uh, online lessons? Um, like, do you talked about uh, a bit before? Um, did franchisees take that up? Um, how do you see your role in the corporate run centres? Can you do more of the lessons online than in person?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. So obviously um, during COVID, nearly all the lessons were online. So we went from 45,000 lessons uh, face-to-face and 500 online to 25,000 online lessons in the period of six months. So it a massive change in our business. Um, On top of that, we were doing corporate at the same time. So in the vacant territories, we do advertise for online-only students. But online-only students with no centre nearby are not as um, profitable and the lifetime value is not as high. So they tend to have a higher churn rate. So what we've done now is actually attach online students to the nearest centre in corporate. So if, if you're, um, let's say in Tamworth, or Armadale, we don't have a center there at the moment, they are attached to the Newcastle center. So they know that the person teaching them is based in Newcastle, and the person who's going to look after them is based in Newcastle. So they uh, tend to be a lot happier. So in, in theory, it sounds better, but the blended learning model is the best model. So we're seeing that uh, currently, We're sitting at about 45,000 lessons a week again. 30% of them are staying online. And what we're seeing is that they're very much a blended model. So from week to week, we don't know which ones are going to stay at home and do their lesson. So the ones that are pure online and only ever be online are probably only 10%. But around 20% of people are making a decision, oh, I'll stay home this week because it's it's raining or I couldn't be bothered or I've had a big day or, you know, there's there's some let's get pizza and the, while we're waiting, the kid can log in for lessons and get it delivered. So, yeah, the blended learning model is definitely better. Um, being attached to a centre so people get more security around the fact that we're a real business definitely helps. And, you know, I think it'll settle at 40 to 50% online but you don't know which ones are going to be doing it from week to week
0: yeah because i can't remember the statement um but it was like during covid um i think it was the chair's letter i uh, was just talking about how like it's basically like accelerated everything and people need it and now we're seeing as we come out of covid people are playing catch up like students and parents are playing catch up right um the other thing that is like was really interesting to a lot of people, and I know a lot of investors that I know were looking at this decision that you made, which was to make the acquisition of TutorFly um, in the US. So I'm hoping you can talk to that. Like, what was I guess your strategy there from like a you know multi-year perspective? Um, and it's a bit different to the traditional business, so maybe you can just explain how it works as well.
1: Yeah, I am convinced that for the older students online is the market. So what I mean by that is we're seeing that we even with the blended model, the older you are, the more likely you are to log in rather than come to a centre. Mm. So okay. um, the younger kids are social just as much as it is you know, learning. So they love face-to-face and seeing their tutor and all those sorts of things. But for the senior kids, they they just want to get tuition to help them get a better mark. Yeah. Now, that that isn't our core business at Kip McGraw, but it is a business that I know will be profitable if you already have a profitable business to go with it. So TutorFly uh, did two things. One, I love the brand name. I think it's fantastic. Uh, Number two, it provided us with a stack, um, you know, the full stack end-to-end for a tutor matching system using college kids tutoring high school kids, which I'm a big fan of. I think... Um, you know, in a lot of ways, if you want to get the best mark possible, go and find someone who's already done it. You don't mm-hmm. necessarily need a teacher to help that with that market. So you know, and you know, had a couple of young guys who had built this business from scratch over a three or four year period. Were very, uh, you know, friendly, knowledgeable, keen. Um, you know, had the right culture. Understood it's about the, you know, the the result, not about the money. You know, you have, you know, you, if you If you tutor the kids properly the money will come not the other way around so the business was a way to get into the american market which i think we will be ready in the next year or so to do that from a physical location i wanted to get into the exam preparation market but i didn't want it to be on our current brand so it it ticked a lot of boxes but the interesting thing is is that it's been doing a little bit of work for schools Mm. Um, But now it's doing a fair bit of work. So it's gone from a business turning over $17,000 a month to one turning over $42,000 a week in US dollars. Mm. So It's doing work for three three schools at the moment in a district in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, The kids are doing online and face-to-face tuition in centre or in school during school hours, as well as a little bit of after hours work. Uh, it's all catch up. It's been funded by the federal government. The US government is putting $100 billion a year into this. And uh, the original founder of TutorFly has got a business called Go School Box. And Go School Box provides an administration software to manage this tuition program. So they're already into eight or nine school districts, but they're not giving the work to TutorFly yet. But they can give us more work. So we're working with Parsa to give us more work because... Um, you know, it was gone from zero in September to forty-two thousand a week in uh, you know March. So you know we we've gone from zero teachers, one one or two teachers to forty or fifty. So yeah, we're just we're gearing that business up to to run harder. So that's so the core business, which is what I bought it for, is still there, is still ticking along, still going well. We're doing around three to four hundred lessons per week, but this t- school business. Um, Is looking exceptionally promising to to scale the business. So it's you know it's not it's, you don't like to use the word lucky, but it's been a you know a pretty decent investment. <laughs> <embarrassment. laughs>
0: so how did what are the key challenges there in scaling it? Just getting like more access to schools. Yeah, you you need to have
1: somebody who knows how to talk to the school teachers. So at the moment we are investigating. Um, the possibility of getting a, a school principal to join the team to help sell, um, as well as a school district officer to come and join the team. We're also looking at uh, the possibility of getting a, another um, director on our board with experience specifically in this area. So, um, you know, we're we're confident that we can grow faster. You don't want to die of growing pains, um, but you do want to, you know, take advantage of the opportunity as, it, as it's there, that's for sure. mm so yeah, the, key, the key challenges is like getting the schools to believe in you over the other uh, mobs out there. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I've just got like one more question. It's kind of, it's probably like a few facets to this, which is um, just like uh, how you think about like resourcing in the team and like reinvesting back into the team to grow the business, whether that's across franchises, whether it's across tech, like your background or you know how management like where are you where are you needing to spend and how do you make those decisions?
1: So obviously asset or you know allocation, which is you know where the capital goes, has to be based on the best return for your investment. Um, I'm a shareholder, so I'll make sure that happens. <laughs> so you know the when it comes to people, yeah, look, great ideas are cheap. Well-implemented well ideas are expensive,
0: right?
1: Yeah. So, so, you know, you're always trying to uh, invest in your team. So, you know, we get coaching and everything for that, for them, and then we get them to coach the ones down below them and so on and so forth. We also have a our system records everything so we can track the teacher performance at every level and the franchisee performance. And, you know, you have to have that tension of, you know, the, the data doesn't lie and you're below average, so you have to up your game. So from the bottom up, it's easier. Once you get to the executive team or senior management team, it becomes a little harder. So you need to look at uh, getting the right people who, with the experience in where you're spending your ass, your and your capital. So at this point in time, we're looking at um, you know corporate centers. So I've I've got a couple of big franchisees to come on board and work for us within the team. So that has helped a lot because it's a very difficult thing to learn from scratch. So currently um, within the team of, say, around about, um, I mean, we've probably got 150 teachers on the books now that we uh, employ directly, and there's probably 20 um, within the team managing all of that. Probably seven or eight of them have come out of the franchise network. Right. So yeah, That's been, that's been good for us. So yeah, you know we we try to get um, as trying to get as much expertise within the team who have actually taught children in a tuition type level because I think that's really important.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think that's like that's like the voice of the customer, isn't it? At the end of the day, um, they understand it; they've got the finger on the pulse, so to speak. I was going to ask a question, which I did send to in advance, which is just like, what are you excited about? But I think you kind of filled that all in. I don't know if you have an answer for that that's different to what you've already said, but if there's anything that stands out to you, like opportunities or just general growth in the business, um, yeah. Yeah, look, probably it's
1: the most exciting time to be in tuition ever. We've got children two years behind, the government realising there's a problem and actually telling parents tuition is the answer but they have no idea what they're doing so parents are going to work that out and go I'm going to have to go to a professional tutor so when you look at Australia we haven't really had enough time without the interruption of COVID yet but in the UK we're at all-time highs for tuition and growing so we've caught up to 20% that we were behind last year and now we're running at a 30% increase on last year. But they've had a year, almost a year without any interruptions. You know, just mm-hmm. on with life. Whereas Australia, we've had, you know, lockdowns, um, you know, and lots of people just going to isolation on and off. So uncertainty is bad for the business. Once everything gets back to the new normal and everybody knows that their child uh, needs tuition, you know, they they like going to a trusted brand and we've, been around for 45 years, and there's
0: not many competitors. Mm. Yeah, there's not many. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Uh, Cheers, Storm. I really appreciate you taking the time to join me today, mate. Okay. Thanks, Owen.